0: We we'll sing this song. All three stanzas, 493. Since the Savior found me, pardon
1: all my sin. I have had the joy and living hope within. God is all my shame and sorrow of the past. They're underneath the precious blood of Christ at last.
0: Is Amen. I'm about to turn back toward the middle there. Oh, we're we'll seeing 175. Let's all stand. We're we'll seeing 175. Standing on the promises. Amen. 175.
2: Amen.
0: The key, okay. <laughs> uh, standing on the promises of
1: Christ my King Through eternal ages let His praises spring Glory in the highest I will shout and sing
0: This morning we come knowing that your promises are true and Lord this time of the year the world over will celebrate the birth of Christ which is a promise that was given to your people and in your word and we truly trust you and believe all the promises in your word we pray God you bless the services Lord this this morning Thank you, Lord, for the message that was preached on this morning. We pray, God, you would uh, meet our needs, Lord, and help those who have health uh, needs, Lord, and all that are not able to be with us. We pray, God, you would bless them in a very special way this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 you seated? Let's saying, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Number 40. number four zero of all, all three stanzas, and this is a good song sometimes i wish they had a fourth verse but they don't have it. great is thy faithfulness oh
1: god my father
3: people have situations to go through and causes them to have a little uh tailspin once in a while but hopefully god will bring them back as far as their walk with him Uh, but thank god he is faithful and that's the most important thing to keep your eyes on that jesus christ never fails and he's always always faithful and so we try to be faithful like he's faithful to us and that's the reason for church that's the reason for your bible reading at home your prayer time your devotion to Christ, all of that is to help you to become faithful to Christ like He's faithful to you. it will be a good day when everybody who is a Christian is faithful like the Lord is faithful. That will never happen in this lifetime, totally, but hopefully things can incrementally go up in that direction. So the main thing is that you, you grow, you stay faithful, you get rooted, stay anchored, you abound. That's the important thing for you. Don't look at somebody else and say, well, what about... No, no, the important thing is you. The important thing for me is that I stay rooted, rounded, and I abound. That's the most important thing for me. Uh, pray for my wife. She's in Michigan with her mom. Uh, pray for her because um, uh, it's cold there, 17 degrees, 1-7. That's pretty cold. And so yet, um, she's having a good time. She'll be there until Wednesday, I think. And then she flies down with her sisters. Her one sister and her mom down to Texas where it's going to be a little bit warmer and they will be there for nine days and then she will hopefully uh, fly home um, she has provided for her husband by portions of chicken and meat and things like that but it's kind of getting boring now <laughs> and so anyway it's, uh, it's not a complaint it's just an observation and so I will survive and uh, next time she wants to do this I'll say you're not going by yourself next time You're going to have to take me with you. Anyway, uh, Eric is doing fine in San Antonio, and he is decorating the home. And um, hopefully it's not too bizarre. But, uh, you know, when you're a bachelor for a long time, you decorate. It's not really, I don't know, it's it's different. You know, you need a woman's touch in there to straighten it out. And so hopefully and uh, confidently in time to be all straightened out too. Um, Birthday, uh, Loretta has a birthday this week. She called in sick. And then uh, your wife is working and uh, my wife is gone. So uh, thankfully, Melissa, is, uh, Melissa Emily Emily's taken over for Miranda while she is away. We had a special guest with us this morning, the Copie, Brother Jason, missionary to PNG. And so he gave a good message and a presentation this morning. Come and say a few words about what you said, just a few words and then um, that's all we need to have. For those who just came in for the 10th through service, come in, brother.
2: All right, uh, good morning. It's great to be here, and uh, it was exciting to uh, arrive this morning and just uh, preach and. present our ministry that we have been doing in Papua New Guinea. Uh, my name is Jason, uh, my wife Tiffany, uh, we have three kids, I guess they are up in the nursery or somewhere. Uh, so, uh, we have been in the mission field since 2018, doing church planting, medical ministry, and uh, preaching and teaching. So uh, we get the opportunity in New Guinea where every Monday uh, the government doesn't put any restriction or whatsoever. We go to public schools and we can preach the gospel freely. Mm-hmm. So we did that. Uh, that's a greatest, uh, one of the great opportunity, the way I sit, where uh, we have 9 million people living in the whole island, but where we're ministering to, it's uh, 20,000 people, in the valley where we live. Uh, but our district has 125,000. And then our province of Southern Highlands, that has 500,000. And so uh, that's where we are. Uh, we live in a place where there is no electricity. Uh, we have no electricity. Uh, we don't have seal roads, but um, uh, from Mount Hagen, that's the city where we fly in uh, from Port Moresby, the capital city. And then to Mount Hagen, one hour flight and then five hours drive to the village. And then uh, we actually built like, I believe, two miles to the village where we built our house because there was no road. So we had to build it on our own. Uh, that's where we're at. We're thankful for what the Lord is doing in uh, Papua New Guinea uh, and doing church planting and uh the medical ministry where my wife is a nurse and uh, she was a registered nurse here in uh, in the states uh, but um, she's using the skills that the lord has given to her to help the village people to uh, when they come we help their medical needs but uh, the main goal is to give them the gospel so every day we get the opportunity to preach to them tell them about jesus christ and that's a good, uh, one of the opportunity that we have as well uh, keep us in your prayers we'll be here uh, for the next uh, several weeks, I the end of the week, end of the month. So first week of January, we'll leave Hawaii and uh, go to Texas. We have a few meetings there, and after that, uh, we will go back to uh, New Guinea, go back to uh, where I grew up and I was brought up in my village there. My home church, Moriah Baptist Church, uh, they started in 1997. Uh, actually, it was started by one of the missionaries from Alaska. He went to New Guinea, and one of uh, My uncle there, he went to the coastal side of the island uh, and then he got saved there and he came back to my village to the mainland in the island of New Guinea. He started a church there and that's why I got saved and grew up there. Came to the States, met a wife, went back to the same place where I grew up and uh, pray for the churches that we have there, the fellowship and then we would love to see more churches in the villages that way. Uh, that's one of the greatest things that they can have. You know, we, we might not have electricity or seal road or a or, uh, nice roof to stay, but we have Jesus Christ, you know, uh, that's all that matters. Uh, because that's the everlasting thing that uh, we, can, we can have. And uh, we're excited for that opportunity. Uh, we just need your prayers. Keep us in your prayers. And uh, Lord willing, we will uh, come back sometime. you, hey, Brother Jason. He has a few prayer cards and
3: information here you can check out on his website. And then get updates from him and so he's with the mission board from Pensacola Florida and so Hartman Baptist mission so all right amen enjoyed having you here today yeah I like the stories what I what I do is I think about how blessed we are to have paved roads we We don't have to build our own roads that's really a blessing Mm -hmm. Uh, that kind of mission work in the remote areas is like bush work and uh, really difficult for most Americans to go through and uh, exist like that and do anything. We'd be complaining so much about no electricity. Well, when we get our internet go out for a few minutes, what do we do? We cry. Uh, no connection. Oh, no. I was driving the other day and uh, no connection. I swipe my phone. You know, I have an auto lock thing or safety lock. You swipe it, then the thing opens up again. I swipe that thing. It didn't unlock my phone. I got a call coming in. Swiped the thing. I couldn't answer my phone. So irritating. I'm so American. Yeah. I am so American. But out there, you have to just be grateful for the little things, and your faith in God has to be pretty secure. Yes. And so that's how it'll be for Americans as well. All right, Mike.
4: concluded our topical studies in alphabetical order and we're starting a new study this is going to be a character study I'm going to go through different characters in the Bible I'm going to try to focus on some lesser known characters not so much the main ones that everybody's familiar with like Noah and Daniel John the Baptist Peter, David I want to focus on some that uh, maybe are not discussed as much. So I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bible to 2 Chronicles. We're going to look at a king today. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. We're going to look at a king by the name of Josiah. Josiah. King Josiah. Now King Josiah was the 16th king of Judah. And if you know your Bible as far as the the history of the nation of Israel and the kings, you know that after King Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into the northern kingdom and and the southern kingdom. Jeroboam, King Jeroboam took the northern kingdom which was uh, collectively called Israel uh, retained the name Israel with uh, ten tribes and then the southern kingdom reigned uh, the uh, Solomon son Rehoboam took over the southern kingdom which was called Judah which primarily for most of the time uh, consisted of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and sometimes there were some different uh, tribes coming and going, but that was primarily what it was. So you have Northern Kingdom, Israel, Southern Kingdom, Judah, and so Josiah is after uh, that began after Solomon. You have the, the first king of the Southern Kingdom of Judah was Rehoboam, and the 16th king is Josiah. And the name Josiah. Uh, actually, many of these names uh, have God as part of their name. Uh, Josiah, if you see the J, that part means God, and his name means God heals. Josiah means God heals. And Josiah reigned 31 years. His reign was 31 years. Now, Why did I choose Josiah? I chose Josiah because he's very significant among the kings of Judah. He is perhaps the most godly king that Judah ever had. And there are some things in his life that are very, very remarkable, as we're going to find out. Have you ever noticed that uh, there was something all along that you should have been doing and, and you overlooked it and you forgot about it or you were completely unaware of it and then later on you discovered oh man I should have been doing this I should have been doing something all along I can't believe I've been neglecting this aspect about whatever it is that's kind of what happened with the reign of Josiah what happened was they were not obeying the word of God as you know Israel and both northern and southern kingdoms apostatized all throughout the Bible. They would turn to idolatry. And what's so remarkable about Josiah is while he was king he discovered that they were not following the laws of God. And he brought about a great reform in his uh, reign. So we're going to look at some details. I want you to look at Second Chronicles chapter 34, and we're going to begin reading at verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem, From the high places, and the groves and the carved images and the molten images, and they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence, and the images that were on high above them, he cut down, and the groves and the carved images, and the molten images he broke in pieces, and made dust of them, and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. Verse five and he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars. And cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali and their mattocks round about. And when he had broken down the altars and the groves, he had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Now, Israel, both northern and southern kingdoms, have a history of idolatry. God, at the beginning, had told them, you make sure you do not mix with the multitudes, the surrounding civilizations and and nations around you because those nations are so wicked, they are given to idolatry. Israel rejected the commandments of God. They disobeyed God. They intermarried with other people. They started worshiping those idols. They intermingled and blended the idolatrous Worship practices with the commandments and the and the the worship that God had commanded in the Old Testament, and uh, they were involved in not just idolatry, not just worshiping idols, but let me tell you how bad it was. It included Baal worship. It included prostitution. They had temple prostitutes, where um, these 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 women, as part of their 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 religion, would get pregnant. In, in order to have these babies to be sacrificed as human sacrifices to these gods, to these idols. It included homosexuality. It included human sacrifice. It included all kinds of these terrible, wicked things. It wasn't just that they were worshiping a statue, but what was incorporated and included in this type of worship of this idolatry was very, very sick, very, very wicked, and God was very, very angry with his own people for doing these things. Now, Josiah, if you see from the text of the scripture, he was such a godly king. And not just a godly king, but I want you to understand the context of this. Because Josiah, his both his father and his grandfather were also very wicked kings. They are the ones who had erected these idols. And Josiah, even though he was able to purge the land of these idols and get rid of these idols and bring about reform to, the, to the, um, the kingdom of Judah and all of these great things, he did not have a good example as far as a godly upbringing from his father and even his grandfather. I want you to notice his father, King Amon, and his grandfather, Manasseh, they were both very, very wicked. In fact, I want you to go up to chapter 33. And then look in chapter 33, verse 21. This is Josiah's father. It says, And Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign, and reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh, his father, for Amon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh's father had made and served them, and humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh's father had humbled himself, but Amon trespassed more and more. That's the influence that Josiah had from his father. Now, how did Josiah overcome the obstacle of that? Because the odds were against him. Most times when people have a very wicked, ungodly father and they have that type of influence, what happens? We see see it in the children. The odds are against them. They have a strike against them as far as how they're going to turn out. There's a saying, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. Josiah overcame those odds. Not just from his father, but even his grandfather. I don't know if his mother had some, something to do with it. I don't know it was just his personal character as far as him wanting to do right. But I want you to understand, number one, he had an early intention. An early intention. Look at verse of chapter 34. Look at verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. Well, how young was he? It says he was young, right? How old was he when he took the throne? Look at verse 1. Eight years old, eight years old. Okay. Now you might be wondering. Wait a minute. How in the world can an eight-year-old boy be a king? Well, there were times in history when children that young would in, would inherit the throne because maybe their father died at a young age or before they were mature enough to be in power. And so, um, by right, they would inherit the throne. But because they were at such a, a young age and not mature enough to To carry out the role of that position they would have other people around them age and people advising them and and basically like a co-reign until they were old enough and mature enough to take it over by themselves but notice it says in the 8th year of his reign while he was yet young and he was young in the 8th year of his reign so if if his reign if the first year of his reign is at 8 years old that means in the 8th year of his reign he's Young, he's as young as 15, actually. I know you're thinking, well, wait a minute, 8 plus 8, 16, but wait a minute. If, the, if he's 8, and that starts the first year of his reign, then he could be as young as 15. If he's 8 years old, and right at 8, he's in the first year of his reign, right? 8 marks the first year of his reign. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. In the eighth year. So at, at age 15 marks the eighth year of his reign. Now, we don't know exactly when his birthday was. He could have turned 16 right away. So so he's either 15 or 16, not older than 16. He could be as young as 15. Let's say he's 16. Just be conservative, okay? Because we don't know when his birthday was. 16 years old, possibly 15 is when he began to search after God being raised up look in this culture of idolatry of this wickedness following not just his father but even his grandfather that culture of wickedness and apostasy and at the young tender age of 15 or 16 years old Josiah begins to search and seek after the god of david his father the bible says now that is remarkable that is remarkable because not just the fact that he had this this ungodly influence from his upbringing but the fact that he was at that age started to search after god what person what teenager what teenage boy do you know who's 15 to 16 years old Begins to search after God at that age. That's normally the age where people start searching after the world. Even if they're saved, even if they've been saved at a young age, many times when they reach their teenage years, all of a sudden, the things of God, the church, and all of those things that they were brought up with, and their godly parents and their godly influence, all of a sudden, those things become many times less important. And the world becomes very attractive to them. Most, most kids that age, what are they interested in? They're not interested in the Bible. They're not interested in church. They're interested in, oh, they're excited because 16, that's the magic age when you're able to get your driver's license, right? They get excited about that. They're excited about their friends. They're excited about social media, video games on the cell phone, and music, and all of these things. And so they're not thinking about God. They're thinking about the world. The world becomes like a magnet, a strong magnetic force to kids that age. Josiah was different. Josiah was the exception. Josiah, understand, he began to seek God when he was young. You know what Paul told Timothy? Paul told Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. Let no man despise thy youth. You know, a lot of people who have, I've seen, I've observed through the years, A lot of um, people who develop bad habits in their teen years, those habits stay with them for the rest of their life and give them a lot of trouble. I've seen people that have started experimenting with certain things in their teen years, high school years, and they have this mindset like, oh, well, you know, right now I'm young. And so because I'm young... I owe it to myself to have fun and experiment with things. And when I get older, when I settle down, you know, I'll put that stuff behind me. But right now I'm young and, you know, I'm going to go ahead and do this and do that and do that. And they plan on quitting those things when they get older, when they get more serious about life, when they get married, when they have kids. And sometimes they do quit those things when they get married or when they have kids. And then what happens is that seed's already been planted. And they've had some years in high school and college of sowing these seeds. And those roots are in there. All they do is just get rid of some of the weeds, the external, but the roots are still there. And then later on, those things begin to surface. They have problems with their marriage. They have stress with work, other things like that and those roots are there and those temptations there and those seeds have already been sown and those things start popping up and then they get problems in their personal life in their marriage you know there's been a lot of divorces that are the result of people's addictions yeah the wife says listen you I, i'm not i'm not staying with you anymore you you it's either me or or that take a pick And the guy says, no, no, okay, okay. And he can't stop it. Or at least he doesn't. I'm not saying he can't, but he feels like he can't maybe. You know a lot of those things? You know where they started? When they were young. When they were young. Josiah had a good foundation in his life. And the fact that when he was young, he began to search after God. That's very remarkable. I want you to see something else about Josiah. Not only did he start searching God when he was young. Not only did he have this, this uh, attitude and um, this character and this fortitude and the, the fact that uh, he had the right heart to search after God at such a young age despite his upbringing, despite the culture, despite the influence. He had an early intention. He also had a righteous indignation. A righteous indignation. Look at verse 4. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them. He cut down the groves and carved images. And and we read some of those things. What did he do? He basically broke down the idols. He said, you know what? He acknowledged that this was wickedness. It was wickedness. He had a righteous indignation. The word indignation means that you're angry about something that is unjust. Angry about something that is unjust. Josiah said, for for whatever reason, when he started searching after God, and it strengthened his conscience, and in his enlightenment, and his concept of right and wrong, he realized what we are doing, what we have been doing, what I have allowed, is wrong. It goes against the Word of God. It is idolater. It is wicked. It is evil. And not only did he recognize it, but he got angry, and he said, We're, I'm going to, as king... And since I am in authority, I'm going to command that this stuff is going to be abolished. Abolished. You know, every president that we have, he makes all these promises that all these things are going to change. <laughs> like, like he's going to bring in some golden age. He's going to lower taxes. He's going to boost the economy. He's going to do this and do that and do that and do that. and I mean, every single president makes these promises and what changes? Sometimes there's some little changes and they're very temporary, and sometimes there's no changes, and sometimes things get worse. Sometimes they get a little bit better, and then the next guy comes in and undoes it, and everybody's blaming each other. Uh, but Josiah, he really made an impact. I mean, he really made change. He didn't just talk about it, but he actually did it. The Bible says in the 12th year, of his reign, he began to purge Judah by destroying these idols. Start seeking God in his eighth year, in his twelfth year, he purges Judah by destroying these idols. Did you know it's not always wrong to be angry? It is true, there are some verses that said in the Bible it says to put away anger, but you have to read it in its context. Sometimes it's wrong to be angry, sometimes you should be angry about certain things. Did you know the Bible says that God is angry every day? Yeah. Psalms chapter 7 verse 11. God judgeth among the righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Is God wrong for being angry? No. Righteous indignation. Remember when Jesus went and cleansed the temple? I would say Jesus was angry at that time. There's a verse that says, Jesus, he looked upon them with anger. The Bible says, be angry and sin not. There are some times where you should be angry. It's necessary to be angry. It's righteous indignation. Somebody said the size of a man is measured by the size of the thing that makes him angry. If there are some things in this world that never make you angry, then I would wonder, well, why not? If you see some of the things that are going on in this world, some of the things that are going on in the the public school system, some of the things that they're trying to indoctrinate the kids with, this, this transgender movement and these uh, drag queen shows coming come to the schools and, and, and the, the books they have in the kids' libraries and the parents are upset and they're outraged and they go to these, these council meetings and they're, they're trying to uh, protest this stuff and the, these, all these teachers and these people on the education board and the councils and they just, they just sit there like, it, like it's nothing. That should make you angry. Anger, righteous indignation. Someone said the man who cannot be angry at evil usually lacks enthusiasm for good. The way that our culture is going, there are some things that you should be angry about. Righteous indignation. The men of God in the Bible sometimes were very angry, and rightly so. God got angry. Jesus got angry. Uh, Now, Josiah was angry enough to go and have all these statues and idols destroyed. Now I want you to understand that Israel at this time, even though they had a king, a, a monarch, they monarchy, they were still in, in a lot of respects a theocracy. Meaning it was a government by God, theo, theocracy, theos. Theos is the Greek word for God. And so when you have a theocracy, that would be a government ruled by God. And so in the Old Testament or the law of Moses, uh, that's why God basically made the rules. And then when Israel had judges and then kings, they, those, they, those individuals were still responsible to enforce the law of God. So it's a combination of theocracy and a monarchy when they had kings. Now, Josiah was right in having the land purged of these idols. We today are not living in a theocracy. We do not have the right to go and trespass on somebody else's um, private property and destroy their idols. If there's maybe a, a temple, a Buddhist temple or a, a Roman Catholic church or something like that, And you read this verse, Oh, well, Josiah did it, and these other people did it, and Gideon, and all of that, and so, oh, and Elijah, and I'm going to do it. So I'm going to go, and I'm going to destroy all of these pagan idols and things. You do not have the right to do that if they are on somebody else's private property. You understand? Josiah did have the right to do that. We don't. We're not living under the Old Testament law. There was a guy who, I think, came to this church a couple times, if I'm not mistaken, and went out and did just that. Went out in some, uh, I mean, I don't think he was a member here, was he?
3: Oh, he was a visitor in the Navy. He went down to the White Catholic Church and defaced the Statue of Mary. You
4: see? Now, the Bible does not condone that. Okay? The Bible says we're supposed to obey the, the powers that be, right? Romans 13 supposed to obey our government officials unless they compel us to disobey God okay so we're not we're not commanded to go and do that in the New Testament we're commanded to go out and preach the gospel but there are times when you can do that you know my wife Hannah she led her parents to the Lord Nathan was over there in China as a missionary her parents being brought up in that type of uh, religion, there, it's kind of a blend of Buddhism and other things. And they had these statues, I guess. They consider them, I guess, ancestral gods or something like that. And they're basically idols. When they got saved, they realized that it was wrong to have those in their house. So they had Nathan come over to their house and break those statues, those idols. Now, that's a good thing. See, so that's how you could apply this verse. But as far as going out and trespassing and vandalizing private property and all those things, well, we just don't have the right to do that. You can definitely purge yourself of idols in your heart. And I mentioned those things uh, back when I talked about the subject of worship. Now, the land was purged of idols before the temple was prepared and the feast days were observed. We're going to get into that. Not only did he purge the land of idols, but he repaired the temple. He reinstituted the feast days that they were supposed to be observing. Something else I want you to see about Josiah. Not only did he have early intention, not only did he have righteous indignation, but he gave godly instruction, godly instruction Look at verse 21 of chapter 34. Verse 21. Go, inquire of the Lord for me, for them that are left in Israel and in Judah, concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out upon us, because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do after all that is written in this book. You know what happened? They found the law of Moses. For some reason, the scribes who were supposed to be in charge of it, they, they had lost it, they neglected it and whatever, uh, and then they had found it and when they read it, and Josiah read it, he said, oh my gosh, we're in big trouble. You see, for years, for the past two generations, they had been ignoring the, the Word of God, their Bible, the Old Testament, the Law of Moses, and had been worshiping idols and then it's re- they, they rediscovered This scroll, the word of the Lord, and Josiah reads it, and it says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and if you do this, then I'm going to do this to you, and this, and Josiah gets this revelation and this knowledge of the word of God, because his daddy didn't teach it to him, his grandfather didn't teach it to him, and all of a sudden, this scribe finds part of the law, and Josiah reads it, and he understands, he said, oh my gosh, We are in big trouble. God is going to judge us for this. And so he gives godly instruction. What does he do? He tells them to do some things. Go to verse 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. Look at that. He's reading them the Bible. Verse 31. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. And he calls all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did, according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. He gave godly instruction. He said, listen, we have disobeyed God. God, uh, we we are at risk of being judged Severely by God, nationally because of our sins of of not us just us, but our father and our great grandfather, our fathers before us, these kings. We have generations of idolatry, and if the Word of God is true, then that means that we are headed for judgment. We are in big trouble, and He says we need to make a covenant with God. We need to cut this out. We need to destroy all these idols. We need to start obeying the word of God. We need to start observing these feast days that we've been neglecting. We need to start over. We need a fresh start. We need to rededicate ourselves to God. Israel had backslidden. Backslidden. You know a New Testament Christian can backslide. How many of you have ever been backslidden? Hmm. You know a lot of Christians are backslidden and they're so backslidden they don't even know that they're backslidden.
1: Right.
4: Yeah. 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 They're so carnal, they're so backslidden that they they don't even see it. And one of the reasons is because just like at that time, they did not even know what the Bible said. It's amazing how many Christians, I mean, real born-again Christians are so ignorant of what the Bible says. And they think that they're just doing fine just because they're saved. And the Bible says this and this and don't do this and don't do this. And the Bible says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Backslidden, backslidden. They were backslidden. And sometimes when a Christian is backslidden and he can be backslidden for years and then he realizes he's chastened by God and, and he realizes that he needs to get back on track. And, and so a lot of times what he'll do is they call it a rededication. He'll he'll say, I'm going to rededicate myself to God. Now, some people are so ignorant of the Bible, they think that they get saved again. (laughs) Oh, I would say, have you ever been saved? Yeah, I've been saved many times. Saved from what? They think, oh, well, uh, God saved me from a car accident, or I was in the hospital and God saved me. I'm not talking about that. Spiritually, your soul, have you been saved? Some people genuinely think they've been saved many times because they were saved and then they backslid and then they got right and then they backslid and then they got right and they think each time they get right again that they're being saved again. No, it only takes one time. But there are people who say, yes, you know, I backslid and then I rededicated my, my life to God. Well, that's a good thing. You realize that you are backslidden. You realize the error of your way. You need to get back. That's what Josiah compelled Israel to do. He said, you know what? We need to rededicate ourselves to God and we're going to make a covenant. And he gave them godly instruction. Godly instruction. When is the last time you gave somebody godly instruction? Like King Josiah did. Have you ever given somebody godly instruction? The Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Has anybody ever approached you for some advice? about maybe a life choice, a decision that they are faced with. I mean real advice, not like how do I fix my car. I mean something that really, really important. A spiritual decision. Has anybody ever approached you for advice? Do they know that if if they needed some sort of godly instruction, that you would be the one or one of the people that they would approach to get some advice from. Just out of the blue, years ago, this guy that I used to work with, hadn't seen him in years, just calls me up on the phone out of the blue and says, hey, uh, I'm in this AA program and they're emphasizing spirituality and you know how AA is they the one of the one of their steps or twelve steps is to they they incorporate some sort of spiritualism into it and it's real generic about you need to call upon your higher power or if it's God to you then that's fine. If it's something else that's fine. But whatever it is, whatever your belief is whatever works for you. But you need to have this sort of higher spirituality to kind of rely on. And it's they kind of leave it up to the individual to determine what that is going to be. And so this guy just called me up out of the blue. We weren't even working together anymore. It had been years since he had quit and relocated. And he says, so I just wanted to tell you that So I'm in this AA program. And they emphasize praying. And they say that it's good to pray. And and I don't know how to pray and the first person I thought about was you. I thought, wow. (laughs) So he was basically calling me to give him some advice. Why did he call me? Out of all the people he knew, out of all the coworkers, out of all the people, all the relatives, all his friends, he decided to call me. I'm not saying that to brag about myself, just giving you an example of how you can have an influence in other people's lives when you don't even realize it. I remember at another job, co-worker calls me over to the side right in the morning, almost as soon as I got there, crying and says, my sister has just been given few months to live. She has stage 4 cancer. She said, I need some religion. I need some sort of something because everything that I have, everything that the world offers, all the other friends, everything, I need something better than that. I need something real. I need some sort of spiritual guidance or something. Why did she approach me? you knew I was going to Bible college. Testimony. See? So, there are opportunities for you to give people godly instruction. Are you going to be able to give them godly instruction? Are you? Do you know the Bible well enough to give them some godly instruction? Josiah was able to give people godly instruction. Uh, you're Your pastor can give you godly instruction. You can give people godly instruction. There are many opportunities. When you witness to people, that's godly instruction. Just giving people the gospel, that is godly instruction. Instructing people how to get saved. You should be able to at least do that at a minimum. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, I wonder if Josiah faced some opposition. You have to understand, when they were worshiping those idols for a couple generations, do you think that everyone was on the same page as Josiah? Do you think that everyone said, Josiah, yeah, this is a wonderful idea. Josiah. Yes, yes, everybody stand behind Josiah. This is what he's doing is wonderful. You think every single person did that? You think every single person wanted this young man to go and start destroying their idols, tearing down their religion, their way of life at that young age? I bet there was some opposition. I bet there were some people who rose up and said, Who does this kid think he is? He's going against his father and his grandfather we've been doing this for years and now all of a sudden he's going to try to change our way of life and our way of worship and who does he think he is go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 24 then the servant of the lord must not strive but be gentle unto all men apt to teach patient in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him and his will. Instruction. Godly instruction. God wants us to instruct other people. All right. Last of all, I want you to go back to our text, Second Chronicles. Let's look at the last point I want to give you about King Josiah. Second Chronicles chapter 34. He made a lasting impression. A lasting impression. Go to um, actually chapter 35, verse 25. 35, verse 25. After he died... And Jeremiah lamented for Josiah and all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah and their lamentations to this day and made them an ordinance in Israel. And behold, they are written in the lamentations, made a lasting impression. You know, after you die, some people are going to remember you. What are they going to remember you for? Are they going to remember that some people... You know, we see these celebrities and famous people in the news, in the headlines, and they die all the time. Some of them, most of them are remembered for their great achievements and accomplishments and their talents. Many people are remembered for, if they were an athlete, they were remembered for how well they performed as an athlete. Musicians. Every time a famous musician dies... I see somebody post some little cartoon drawing or, or somebody makes a comment and said, oh, he has joined these other greats in heaven. He's in heaven playing with John Lennon and Elvis and Jimi Hendrix and uh, Janis Joplin and Jim Morrison, and they're all rocking out in heaven. No, the guy's in hell. right? Most likely. What are they remembered for? They're remembered for their musical talents, their athletic abilities, whatever they were known for. What are you going to be remembered for? A lasting impression. What kind of impression are you making? What kind of impression, what kind of lasting legacy will you have after you die? Josiah, after he died, they remembered him for these great things that he did for following the word of God. Are they going to remember that you were a Christian? What are people going to say at your funeral? Oh, he was so funny. He was always the life of the party. He was he was such a nice guy. He was this, he was that. And talk about all these wonderful things. And are people going to mention the fact that this guy, he was a Christian. This guy, he was, you know, he never missed church. He he definitely, we knew he was a Christian. If you were tried at a court of law and the accusation was that you were a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? You know, I had to speak at my brother's funeral and sadly enough especially based on the circumstances of the cause of his death it was a very poor testimony and he was saved and I had genuine evidence of the fact that he was saved but sadly enough there were a lot of people that attended that funeral that did, know, did not know that side to him. That side of him. They only knew the other side of how oh he was made us laugh. He was in he was entertaining. He was a drinking buddy. He was loved to party with us and all of those wonderful things. And. It was, I'm sure, in a lot of my, people's minds, it was kind of contradictory that here I am trying to explain the other side of him that, unfortunately, was not very public. And I'm sure in a lot of people's minds, you're thinking, wait, huh? That's, that's an, I never knew that side of him. Well, maybe they're just bringing this up because it's a funeral and everybody wants to make a funeral some sort of how it's, they make it religious to kind of, you know, brush over the obvious and give some hope because it's a funeral setting. No, that's not what I was doing. I would hope that us here, we as Christians, would have an impression, leave a lasting impression to where at our funeral and just af- and after our funeral, people remember us that we were born again Bible-believing Christians, that our life exemplified that, that people don't have to wonder if we were saved. You know, some of these, these celebrities and these musicians and people wonder if they're saved and they say, oh, well, I think he may have been saved because this particular guy, because he sang some gospel songs at some point in his career, Elvis and these others. And people say, well, maybe he was saved. He sang some gospel songs. Oh, I remember one time he gave this interview where he sort of alluded to the fact that he might believe in Jesus, uh, but his life sure didn't reflect it, but maybe he was saved. Maybe there's that, that one little a glimpse of hope that maybe he was saved and we can't say for sure where he is now that he's dead because of this you know that that is just such a poor testimony if the person really even was saved to have to kind of wonder and cling to this little thread of hope because of something he said one time in 50 years Josiah was not like that Josiah was not like that Josiah, I want to give you, just in closing, I want to give you some highlights and some other things that we didn't discuss, but I want you to see Josiah, one of Judah's godliest, perhaps the most godliest king. Josiah, in closing, he sought God while he was young. He purged the land of idols. He repaired the temple. He trembled at the law. He sought God's word. He had a... A humble and tender heart, and because of that, he escaped judgment. He was obedient toward God. He persuaded others, and he died while fighting in battle, and he was lamented for. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for the example of Josiah, this godly king. I pray that we would look at Josiah's life and we would uh, use him as an example. That we would apply some of these things to our own lives that we would also have these these traits and these attributes and that we would um, search after god no matter what age we are that we would not compromise that we would as soon as we reckon we hear and, and have knowledge of of what the word of god says that we would try our, the best of our ability to obey it to do right regardless of the opposition i pray that Uh, we would endure to the end and that we would leave a make a lasting impression so that um, you'll be able to say well done good and faithful servant in jesus name amen. amen